it's Kiki here. And Alex. On this episode, we hear about a musical based on the life of singer-turned-suffragette Kitty Marion and the women erased from history. The all-female team of writer Annabelle Lee Ravac, director Ellie Coote, and musical director Lauren Hopkinson join us to discuss their collaboration. And how this musical embraces its theatricality by having five performers share the role of Kitty. Passing the legacy and the burden between each other. Welcome to Making, Making a, a Musical, the future of British Musical Theatre. This episode is really exciting because it's been a while since I've seen this team put together, but not too long ago. This show actually was part of MT Fest UK 2023, um, and they are very familiar with the, with the studio, which is where we're sat at the moment recording, because they, they workshopped here for a few days before yeah. doing a workshop presentation of the show we're here to discuss, Train on Fire. Hello. Might be easier. Why don't you introduce yourself and, and say what you do? Um, cool. I'm Annabelle. Um, I am the composer, lyricist, playwright of Train on Fire. Um, I'm Ellie. Uh, I directed the workshop of Train on Fire and Annabelle has been generous enough to kind of keep me on board and keep me around. Hi, I'm Lauren and I am music director, supervisor, music person for Train on Fire. Yes. Stunning. So... Give us some information about the show. Listeners may or may not have seen MT Fest, but knowing this is going to reach the far, you know, sides of the earth, what is the show? The brief version is Train on Fire is about Kitty Marion, who was a singer turned suffragette who moved to London at sort of the height of Great Britain's suffrage movement. And it follows her journey just in London and from being a musical singer and sort of in the chorus to becoming um, one of the most violent, volatile women in Britain's history and the consequences of that. I mean, Kitty just seems like the perfect protagonist for a musical, but how did you find her and how did you decide that that was going to be the subject? I came across a YouTube video and someone like mentioned that there was an exhibit on in the Museum of London. and Someone? Someone. <laughs> you can name drop on this. Um, yes, yeah, so it was like a Carrie Hope Fletcher like vlog. And I saw, I know, I'm always like embarrassed. I'm always like, no, it's brilliant. It's Listen, good. there was a pandemic. I had a lot of time and I loved watching all of everything on YouTube at that time. Um, and she talked about going to the Museum of London and there's a suffragette exhibit. It was still there. That museum is now closed. Um, but the scrapbook is still online you can go look at it online and it's kitty marion's scrapbook and it is sort of now i've seen it and there's a couple of pages of all of her reviews in the chorus and then there's pictures on the next page of like bombed out trains and it says on the caption like nobody knows who did this da, 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 da. and then on the next page it's more like reviews of kitty marion in the newspaper and so you can only assume that she is the one who has done all of these things um but it's all of these, like, the perpetrators were never caught or, like, they narrowly escaped and all of this type of thing. So, yeah, she's she's badass. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think what's interesting is, you know, the suffragette, suffragette movement is, you know, a notable conversation in musicals. We've just had Sylvia at the, at the Old Vic. Yes. But I guess, you know, Kitty Marion potentially isn't one of those names that you immediately latch on to as, as a... You know, she's a notable figure, but I guess what was it really that was exciting about about her? Yeah, um, I mean, a couple of things, but 
the one of the main things was I couldn't find anything about her in any of the suffragette general literature. Um, and now looking back on that, I think it's probably for a couple of reasons. Um, she was working class, so she wasn't involved in all of the like outward campaigning things. She was doing the bombing. Um, and she was an actress and a singer. And so like that sort of played into that sort of what she was known for publicly. And they tried to kind of keep her out of the papers. I've kind of started to figure out there were some sort of things happening where they were kind of shoving her under the rug. And eventually they did decide she was so dangerous that they had to make her leave because she was tainting the face of the movement because she was getting really dangerous. So, yeah. Tell us about the way that the piece was staged for MT Fest, mm. because I think what's quite unique about this is it's one protagonist, but that protagonist isn't only played by one actor. It was a very exciting challenge um, <laughs> to be kind of offered um, as a director and especially as we'd sort of just met as a team we hadn't had a lot of time to have a lot of dramaturgical conversations about the show um, and when you're in a really short process like clarity is the most important thing um, but yeah we had this amazing challenge of five actors all kind of sharing the role of Kitty um, and each taking on a different part of her story. Um, and the way that we ended up approaching that um, at the time was, uh, for clarity's sake, passing over a uh, prop item to make it clear who was who. Um, but also, at the time, we kind of came at it um, from an emotional angle of what is it to be an activist um, and the weight of that and the weight of uh, that story on any one person's shoulders is absolutely massive. And a lot of, you know, in, in, in the activist communities, exhaustion, like, and burnout is a massive thing. Um, and so that was the way that we kind of emotionally keyed into the sharing of the role and why different actors stepped away or, or took the mantle of the story at, at different moments. That angle has sort of changed now, um, mm -hmm. based a little bit on how we're thinking about and how Annabelle's thinking about her as a character. What, what we realized during MT Fest was it was all very nice. And that was a bit of a problem um, because she is this really gritty character and I wanted to show a little bit more of that. And for someone to like blow up trains in the name of women's rights you have to have you you have to know that people are going to see that and probably appreciate that people are going to see that and have like a little bit of that fame hungry thing about you and so I really tried to bring that out since MT Fest and that's what we're looking at in the next draft is she she gets a little bit nasty in a Ooh, good way good women aren't just beautiful adornments they are not we sat at home Amen. How did that affect teaching music or, or um, allowing five different performers to embrace, you know, with very different voices and, and personalities and, and looks to embrace the music? Yeah, it was such a wonderful challenge vocally. Um, we sort of bookend with ensemble numbers and then each actor has a number which reflects on a moment or moves the narrative forward. And I suppose the idea to sort of double down musically on the idea of having different actors playing the same role 
is to consider what those actors can bring vocally. Is it a different tone? Is there something stylistically that we can lead into for each of the number to really, to really bring out what that, in, what that particular individual can bring to the role? And then when we have our ensemble numbers, we have everyone singing together. The power of having all of those individuals with their individual tone coming together to sing the same message is is a really dramatic thing. It's a wonderful thing to be able to play with musically. I think this is a great moment to listen to our first song, Mad Woman, which is one of those powerful ensemble numbers. When you walk in the room, everybody stops and stares at you and they don't know what to do because you take up space, you won't go away, you disobey. trusted she's a, a mad woman don't let her get too close she's a mad woman when they say stop she goes mad woman when i speak take a stand every time i try to sing my way and i don't heed their command i'm vilified i am tossed aside because i don't know but Annabelle, you uh, brought this piece to MT Fest and you knew you had 12 hours to put (laughs) on a workshop production. I think we just need to emphasize that MT Fest. I mean, I I worked on it intimately, (laughs) so I know. But every show has 12 hours, 12 hours to put something up on its feet. It's wild. What's great is I think it probably forces you to get to the real core of the idea um, and kind of put the absolute fiber of the being of the musical on the stage. Um, but that it does present quite a challenge in terms of getting a team together um, and especially a team which is right for the subject matter of the musical. So how did that come about? How did that team come together? Um, yeah, well, 
I mean, Kiki can answer part of this question uh, <laughs> because she brought me Ellie. Um, and I don't actually know like what made you like look at the two songs from Train on Fire and say Ellie is the one. Well, because Ellie she and was. I go back a few years Many because yeah. um, the, when we did the All That Scratch version of the podcast, there was a show called 42 Balloons, which is now going off and doing brilliant things. And Ellie was attached as director. And then we supported 42 Balloons with workshop space. So I got to see Ellie's work quite well. And I, I really respect Ellie. And I think she's got a really brilliant vision. But I think what I really love about Ellie is her dramaturgical skills. And I know, I know that for a process like this, just having someone who's got that skill set to draw on quickly was going to be an asset to the process. Yeah. And then especially being like book music and lyrics to have someone outside of it looking at the story in that way was so helpful. Yeah. So you've got your director dramaturg on board. Mm -hmm. Next, you need a musical director. Yes. Um, so I put out um, a call on one of the Maestra communities. Maestra is a group for female and non-binary um, musicians in theater and Lauren reached out and I don't think you remembered this when I when you emailed me but I had gone to shadow you at six like two weeks before that yes I did not connect the dots <laughs> I didn't connect the dots but I think maybe a few days later once we started emailing I was like oh actually we already know each other yeah yes, yeah but yeah. I didn't say that at the time because I was like oh I don't want to like I don't want to, I want to just like appear cool. So I'm, I'm not <laughs> going to say that now. Um, but I remember you emailed me the first time. And then like 20 minutes later, you emailed me again. And you were like, I just looked up Kitty Mary and I just gave her a Google and she's really cool. I want to know more. And so that's like, yeah, that, it was like, so fun because your original message, I think you had, was pretty brief. I think you sort of said the name. Maybe maybe a tiny tiny bit about her and the dates. Mm -hmm. And so I responded to it, said, Yeah, I have availability and that this sounds this sounds great, you know, let's chat. And then I took the next ten minutes, I was like, actually I'm just gonna Google this person and see what it's about. And I emailed you straight back and said, No, she's fantastic. I really <laughs> want to be part of this project. What an incredible story. And that's like why I was like, Yeah, let's go with that. Because I just wanted people who were like interested in the material. So I was like, Yeah. And Annabelle, you've kind of been I guess, buried deep in the material for so long. Mm -hmm. um, and as somebody that's writing on their own, tell us a bit about when you're actually doing that research, doing that writing, what does that look like day to day? And because there's a very specifically an academic side of that research for you. Yeah, this show was sort of different than any other writing process I had approached thus far because I pitched this show as my master's project at University of Wolverhampton um, and I was doing it wasn't like a writing degree it was a degree on research in the performing arts and what I wanted to study was feminist storytelling in musical theater um, and so I was really looking at general musicals at large and unpicking the the why of like why we were telling these certain stories with like an I want song and a conditional love song and da, 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 da. like there are steps um, if you pick apart any golden age musical and I wanted to break that down and then see if I could write something that wasn't that but that was still really entertaining to a musical theater audience um, and that's what the master's degree became was I picked five songs from Train on Fire as I was writing it and sort of researched and unpicked the like why of that 
type of song or the chord structure of the song. It was a different thing for every song, but it became a very academic like research project first. And then I finished writing it after the master's was done. If you were to break down a day-to-day research process, what does that look like for you? And then if you were to break down your day-to-day writing process, what does that look? Mm, Interesting. I think I do them both in the same day. I don't think I ever keep them too separate um, because for this show, the research is so important to the content of the show. But I would read, like, I have this... That's such a weird thing to say. I have this brain where I will just see the phrase and I'm like, that's the song. And so there's like a line in Kitty Marion's scrapbook and I was researching, reading through the scrapbook and she said um, they had read a headline where the WSPU is infested with mad women. And I was like, that's the song. Okay, cool. Um, And so then the research is done and now I'm writing the song. I don't think I have a very organized brain in that way, which is sometimes good. And sometimes makes me take longer to write things. But (laughs) yeah, it's a bit of a scattered process. I don't think I have like a set condition that I need to work in to do the thing. So you've written the draft of the show, which you workshopped. Mm -hmm. You've done the workshop. But a big question I have is what comes next and how are you approaching that redrafting process? Um. That, that is the big question, isn't it? What happens now? <laughs> um, we actually get to meet next week, um, the three of us, and do some development work on the show. But we, we talked a little bit right afterwards. Mm. And then we walked away and I sort of sat with MT Fest and let that all sink into my brain after the 12 hours were over. Um, it took me more than 12 hours to process it, I think. Sure. <laughs> um, and now we're sort of looking at going back in and MT Fest was also an abridged version. So the next workshop we do will be the full version of the piece, um, which will be really exciting to like, put songs and scenes back in. Um, we've changed up a little bit of the character breakdown. Um, it's been a lot of like taking it all apart and putting it back together again. Can you give us a little insight into that character breakdown change? Because that feels quite significant. You've you've written this thing and you've kind of got in the head of all of those characters. And that sounds like maybe someone's being cut. Yeah, we we did cut um, the male actor out of the piece. Bob did a beautiful job so with true. very little material. It was a really interesting thing to try in the workshop, um, seeing what that presence like means in the space. But I think what we found is that having the strength of five five people who are all at some point taking on the role of Kitty and then all multi-rolling the other roles in the show. It just so, it's so neat and gorgeous. And it just, it feels right. It feels right, I think. Yeah, I think so too. And also there just wasn't very much at the end of it for poor Bob to do anyways. Yeah. So, <laughs> so now it's all been split up amongst the five and they all share the male roles in the show so Mm. we've got another song uh from the show lullaby Mm. can you talk to us about how this fits in because it's very different to the first song that we listened to so lullaby is um it's towards the end of the show um and i kind of think about it as like the only love song in the show really because there is no love story 
um, in the conventional sense, but this is a song between Kitty, um, the fourth person to play Kitty, and Hilda, who's like one of her best friends. And um, the song is about Hilda trying to, Kitty is burnt out, and Hilda's trying to tell her that it's okay, you can take a break. And that's essentially what the song is and does. Um, this is the first song that I fell in love with as I was listening to the music of Train on Fire. I just couldn't stop listening to it. <laughs> it's absolutely stunning and it allows Kitty to show her vulnerability for a period of time and we can just sit with her as she's reflecting in this moment and there's just something absolutely stunning about it. Am I tired of yelling? Tired of war? Tired of always more? Evermore Am I tired of fighting Tired and sad I am tired of being mad But I can't shout flame down Or run out of town Burned out Burst your sleep for a while we won't meet our demise rest your weary head the world will not end while you're lying in bed just go to sleep and dream while you fly we'll sing a lullaby for the burning I'm exhausted from hiding playing a game losing it just the same just the same then on night watch for ages no end in sight they're searching in the streets tonight so I can't shout fame down, run out of town, burned out. Just go to sleep and dream while you fly. We'll sing a lullaby for the burning hush by bombs flying over your head. Count them like sheep as you run off to bed can't shout flame down run out of town burned out while you fly we'll sing a lullaby it's alright we'll sing a lullaby can't cry but we'll Sing a lullaby for the burning girl. Uh, so that demo is a fun story because I had to re-record the demo because it wasn't quite clear enough. Um, but I didn't have time to go anywhere nice to record it. So that's just me. I have like a desk with like drawers on either side and I'm got a blanket over the top and I'm underneath 
the top of my desk with my microphone and my blanket, and that's how I recorded that demo. It's, I love it. It's a glamorous life. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, it shows that, well, A, two things. It shows that the importance of clear demos when you're communicating with collaborators, when you're communicating with, with pitching things to producers, to venues, um, but also that you can do a lot, you can achieve a lot on very little. You don't have to go into a recording studio, though that in itself is a valuable experience as well. Yeah. I think I'm lucky with this show, the storytelling that I need to get across in the demos isn't anything technically really fancy. So I'm lucky with this one. I don't have to have like synths and um, like amazing tech involved, um, which is nice. <laughs> <laughs> What's really nice about this song is that it's a all female duet, yes. which is all too rare in, in musical theater. Yeah. I think. Um, and it's a lovely, thing to hear obviously there's a lot of all-female singing in the show how does that work technically in terms of arranging for those voices and writing that in the first place it was actually really fun and refreshing to write for five um treble voices because it because that's what that's where I sing so I'm the most comfortable like layering harmonies in on top of that so to be completely honest to write a lot of the vocal arranging for this show I would write out the melody and then I improved all the harmony lines on top or below all of that. And that's the basis of it. I mean, I did more technically after that, but I got to sing all of it, which was kind of fun. Um, and then I knew that it could be sung because I don't have the biggest range. So I was like, okay, any professional will be able to do this now, I think. Lauren, you can tell me if I'm wrong on that. <laughs> well, yeah, and there's something so beautiful about having all of your harmony coming from the same register and how mm. powerful that is to have all your voices coming within the same space. It doesn't have to be a spread chord. It can be close part harmony in musical theatre, yeah. uh, which we don't see all that much of. It's a wonderful thing. Yeah. And how does that work in the room, Lauren, for, for people who haven't been in a rehearsal room? Um, how does that work on a day-to-day -day basis when you have 12 hours to put something together? Oh, it's such an interesting challenge, isn't it? <laughs> MT Fest in 12 hours. Um, I think that I feel very lucky to be with Annabelle and Ellie and this wonderful team. Because um, I think I felt almost immediately that we were all on the same page. Mm. And we had conversations about what is it exactly that we're trying to achieve in here. And therefore, wh where are the deal breakers? And mm. where can we perhaps have some flexibility and some movement? So I think we set the bar high. And you go in with a plan mm -hmm. and then knowing full well that you're going to have to make some real time decisions to make sure you pull off something spectacular. Yeah, which did happen and it was worth it. Sure. So, yeah. Was there anything specific that you thought was going to go one way before you got into the room that then completely shifted? Mm. Um, we taught a lot of harmony. Yeah. Didn't we? And then we prioritized where, where the harmony and the storytelling was so was so important to be in the same place and where perhaps we could forgo a little bit of harmony. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we had an honest conversation on, well, it's hard to remember what, but, but early on with the actors and we sat down and went, okay, what can we actually achieve? What's manageable? What's going to go in? What's going to be absorbed? And then what can we, what can we let go of? Um, and I think, yeah, just communicating that expectation the whole time um, because 
a lot of magic can be done in a short space of time. Um, actors are um, incredible superhumans, but um, we also need to like keep an honest conversation about workload and capacity um, and make sure that everyone's on the same page. And so Ellie, obviously you're the director. It's your job to facilitate that to happen. What are the kind of keystones that you put in place at the beginning of a process to make sure that those communications happen and happen well? Um, that everyone knows what the end goal is, what we're working towards. That's kind of part one. Um, that everyone knows how we're going to get there, um, the process, the steps that we're going to take, um, and the questions that we're coming into the room with as well. I think that's really important because we obviously have, um, Lauren and Annabelle and I have conversations prior to coming into the room um, about what we want to discover. Um, and I think it's really important that everyone is aware of that um, and also understands that this is about learning, taking the pressure off. This is about an opportunity to like get to know a piece better. Um, and so no responsibility is falling on any one person's shoulders. And actually everything is a win. Everything is a plus. We're, mm. we're gaining knowledge and understanding and nuance and all the good things. Well, yeah. this was MT Fest was the first time the show had been put on its feet. In any way. In yeah. any way. Mm -hmm. What were the specific questions you wanted to get out of it then? I mean, the main thing I came to you with was the kitty swaps. I think mm. that's the first thing I asked you about. I was like, this is the idea I have. Do you think it's possible? And you were like, let's find out. Um, yeah. And we did. We so did. We did exciting. it. And it was, I think, in some cases clear, in some cases less clear. Um, but we learned things. I think what's exciting for me always um, as a dramaturg is having a writer come to you with this is an instinct that I have that feels right but don't know necessarily exactly what it means yet because it's very hard to like know what that means until it's in the hands of actors mm -hmm. and so getting to discover that together and we're still figuring that out as well um, but it's a really bold pitch and a bold instinct um, that I think a lot of fruitful conversations can come from yeah. and you mentioned you're now continuing to develop as a three which is really exciting I think that's a a huge testament and success to come out of, of MT Festo if you know at this point what are the questions that you want to interrogate specifically further from a writing standpoint I guess I'm interested in how on board we can be with somebody that we know is making dangerous choices um and how far how far I can push that because I think what MT Fest taught us is that we can go a lot further. Um, so now I'm gonna push it a little bit, push the envelope a bit, and see if I can make people scared. I don't know. That's not a thing I want to. I don't want to actually make people scared, but I do want to see what happens. That idea of the anti-hero feels very current. Mm -hmm. um, I'm, the, the film that sprung to mind immediately for me was Cruella. You know, the origin oh. story of like somebody who we understand to be inherently evil, mm. but also like there's so much redemption in it. So many redeeming qualities. Yeah. I've been saying anti-hero. I've also been saying like Robin Hood gone wrong is kind of what happens <laughs> okay. to her because she's doing bad things 
for the right reason, but it doesn't end there, you know? So, yeah. We'll test that phrase out here on the podcast. <laughs> I'm here for it. <laughs> I'm here. We all understood where you were going with it. So, yeah. Well, I can't wait to see what happens with the anti-hero next. Making a Musical is produced and hosted by Alex Jackson and Kiki Stevenson for The Other Palace. If you've enjoyed this episode, follow and rate the podcast wherever you're listening. It helps us share new British musical theatre with audiences all around the world. You can submit your new musical to be featured on the podcast at theotherpalace.co.uk. That's it from us. Join us next time for more Making Making a a Musical, musical, the the future future of British musical musical theatre.